I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to this latest episode of the fangirl radio show i am your host jessica wire and with me tonight is the lovely ren willocks hello and the ghostly producer amanda so tonight's episode we we have a lot to talk about really fast and we have an awesome awesome guest in the form of frank bedore a best-selling author and creator of a new version of alice in wonderland that you've never seen before um done on in any way it's just an amazing uh compilation of how of genres that he's compiled into uh a version of alice in wonderland and it's gorgeous um and we will be talking to frank about that and his kickstarter which actually hit its goal this week yay Yay! um and I'm going to talk really fast because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, but I am very excited. I, I have an announcement personally to make. I have to get this out there because I'm very excited and honored. I was nominated for a Rondo Award this week. Yay! And uh, thank you. Um, if you would like to vote for me, you don't have to, but I would love it if you did. Uh, you can go to the Rondo Awards website. Just type in Rondo Awards in Google, and it will take you there. I'm actually nominated for my work in Horror Hound Magazine um, for my coverage of The Walking Dead and the interviews, interview uh, section. So, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very, very honored, and I didn't expect it, and I'm just amazed and thrilled. So thank you for whoever out there nominated me for that. I appreciate it. Um so moving on, uh, Week in Geek, here we go, before we get to our great interview with Frank Bedore. Um, the, the Oscars happened. That happened. I, I, it did, it did. And um, controversial Oscars, not in terms of who won, but in terms of things that went on on the show. People didn't take the humor the way that they expected it to be, but my opinion of that is... You were you have Seth MacFarlane doing your show. If you've not watched American Dad or Family Guy or Ted, then you only have yourself to blame for what happened. If if you were offended, if you were not or offended surprised. or surprised, I'm like, uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah. So you only have yourself to blame. He said he's never doing it again, and um, I actually enjoyed a lot of it. Some of it was uh, overt, and but it's Seth MacFarlane. What did you think was going to happen? Um, I do believe, though, that there should be a We Saw Your Schlong song. I really do think Tina Fey needs to perform that. It'll happen. It probably will, and it should. And there should be footage of Michael Fassbender from Shane. Yay! Just saying. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Although there's not so many. Like I said, it's going to be a very short version uh, in comparison yes. to what would... Yes, 
there is a penis joke in there. Um, <laughs> but, but I was very happy that Argo won Best Film because it deserved it. Uh, I think that was a, um, you know, I, I don't know what you were thinking, Academy, for not giving him a director's nod, but go fig on that one. What did get a director's best director was The Life of Pi. And I know Ren has uh, something she wants to talk about in regards to that film and the controversy now um, that it has nothing to do with boobs, but rather visual effects in Hollywood. True. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not my week in geek, but I'll, I'll try and segue. I, um, okay. Segue. <laughs> that's my week in geek. No, absolutely. Because <laughs> the week in geek has nothing to do with this okay. topic, which, I mean, it's so, it's weird because I only sort of, um, I, I, I stumbled upon this particular event, which really nobody's talking about it yet, but I get the sense the more I read that it's going to grow into something pretty oh, big. It's, it's it already has. Yeah, it's definitely gathering steam quickly, and it's going, could even snowball into something the size of the writer's strike a couple of years back, and that was a big flipping deal. This is a similar kind of scenario where you have a huge section of the creative community who is pretty much getting shafted. And well, it's, been a, it's been a slow descent into Shackville um, because nobody's really kind of stood up in a collective manner and said, hey, this isn't right. And that's mostly because the VFX community doesn't have what, like, the Writers Guild had. They don't have a union. They don't have um, the uh, association. They don't kind of have a collective the, to represent themselves in the industry because most of them are these independent houses. So there's not huge, um, you know, with the exception of like an ILM, which now is owned by Disney, uh, most of the VFX houses are independent. And so they don't really fall under the, you know, the, the standard terms of writers, that are, you know, armies of writers that all work for one studio. So this well, has been a long time coming. Sorry, what were you saying? I'm trying to get well, this <laughs> Uh, no, no, no! Don't, don't, don't rush it. What I was going to say was the thing that happened with the life of Pi, which kind oh, of gave definitely. this. Yeah, what was what was the big deal with that was uh, what they did to the visual effects team that won while they were on stage well, during the Oscars. You know, I, I I had mixed feelings about that because what happened was okay. So the life of Pi won for best visual effects. The house that did the the effects for that was called uh, Rhythm and Hues. Four guys from Rhythm and Hughes got up and accepted the Oscar. I rewatched that clip, and the dude accepting accepting the Oscar and saying all his thank yous said thank yous for a solid 60 seconds, which is kind of your limit. But after he was done with his solid 60-second thank yous, he started to then talk about the fact that Rhythm and Hughes has declared bankruptcy, like not well, even a week prior. And he well, got like two sentences into that, and they started to Jaws music him, and then they cut his mic. Well, what happened, why they cut his mic was because he was stating that there were 400 visual effects guys outside, outside protesting. Yeah. There were, there were between four and 500 people yeah. outside with signs, um, you know, trying to draw attention to this fact. And they did a really good job that night of making that completely invisible. I did exactly. not know, watched the Oscars start to finish, had no idea that that was going on. It was only through a couple of people I follow on Twitter that I kind of, like I said, stumbled into this knowledge. So there was all of these visual effects employees and their families, their children, because these are all the people that are being affected by the fact that visual effects companies' budgets are nil. The way I read a lot of articles this, this morning and a lot of people, and I have a lot of quotes, and what I understand is that 
the visual effects department on a big budget film is a profit center because if they can slash that and slash that and slash that, that's where they'll make a lot of the money back. Right. So you have highly skilled people who you can't, I mean, they, they live in LA. You can't just get them to, to move somewhere else, you know, highly skilled people who you can only work so fast and you can only do so many things with some expensive equipment and you can't do it any faster or cheaper. And there's a loophole in this. It's a kind of, it's kind of boils down to somebody had a sign, and this is an old meme, and I don't know where it comes from, but the, but the idea that there's three camps, good, fast, and cheap, and you can only pick two. But there's right. a loophole in the VFX industry right now, which is that the, the studios want fast and cheap, which usually sacrifices good, but the loophole is subsidies. Subsidies, subsidies from other countries, like right now uh, Canada, actually, India and China. So there's these other effects places where they can get extra effects work done on a picture that's maybe behind schedule or they just need more hands, more fingers, and those countries are are giving them huge subsidies back. You know, the, for $100 spent in Canada, in, in Vancouver, the, the government will give them $60, 60 of those $100 back. And that just cuts into the work that people are actually doing in L.A. That cuts into... Their wages have been stagnant for years. Their their benefits are getting slashed. They don't have. Yep. Um, there's a lot of employment kind of snap, you know, illegal stuff where they're not classified as, a, as strictly as an employee, so they don't have to actually offer the these types of things. And it's just getting to the point where these people are scrounging, and their firms, their their effects companies like Rhythm and Hughes are going bankrupt. Even though Rhythm and Hughes has won three Oscars. Well, and they, that movie made, made like $600 million. Yeah, it, 583 as of the other day. $583 yeah. million dollars on Life of Pi. And they won an Oscar for that film. And, and another one, Digital Domain, who won an Oscar for Curious Case of Benjamin Button, they went bankrupt last year. How are these people who are producing such insane work? I mean, it's, it's supposed to be the, the, the pinnacle of work. If you've won an Oscar for it, and you and and they're going out of business because because uh, because they can't pay for their people, it's not the equipment that's expensive; it's the people. You know, if well, you you need to pay people enough to live on, and that's an expense. And if you want to hire three hundred visual effects artists, it's not like hiring a cast of thirty. It's not well, like hiring, you know, even an army of extras. Well, and, and I know we cheap as chips. If you want an army of VFX artists, pay for it. Well, and I know we, we got to get moving on to what we're talking about this uh, Week in Geek, but uh, the, the point there is most of these people do live in L.A., and it's expensive. And, yeah. and, you know, they make, if you're willing to pay, say, for an example, Tom Cruise, $10 million for his one thing that he does, which is act mm -hmm. in the film, which, not to belittle acting, but you have these other people that work ridiculous hours on time schedules. And, and it's not like 50 people. It's not it, like... It's like 300, like 300 people. If you look at that list on, like, say, Pirates of the Caribbean, of what visual effects teams make up, you know, of on that list, like 300 freaking names, it's, you know you need to pay for the work and you can't tell me that a movie like say the avengers which is funny now that 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 disney owns the effects studio that mm -hmm. makes 
the special effects for these movies now, for the most part. Um, you can't tell me that that movie would have done a tenth as well without yeah. the special effects that it had in it. And that's so, something else is saying, you know what, if you want if you want to go back to a green body paint guy instead of, you know, as the host, yeah. then keep yep. going down this road you're going. Yeah, because uh, they're going to hurt. If you want to show solidarity right now, the effects artists um, and people showing solidarity with the effects industry are changing their Twitter apps to just a green block, which is essentially exactly what you'll have if you have no more visual effects. Facebook's doing it too. So, yeah, show your, show your, um, your the brotherhood here of loving the special effects artists out there for what they give us and and do that and just show the solidarity because it is it is ridiculous what's going on right now in the industry and the fact that they cut it kind of does piss me off that they cut him off when he was talking about that and the way they did it yeah uh, it's just rude and you wouldn't have seen that happen to anyone else i don't think he so. could have done it better i still kind of figure like, i know he wanted to get his thank you now bring it up <laughs> like like 30 seconds earlier because they were going to cut you at 60 seconds no matter who you were but fact remains, yeah, they didn't. It wasn't nicely done. Um, so moving on to uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up, which is watch you stream, and I haven't done this in a while, and I only have two things, but I had to bring these up because I've discovered them on Hulu Plus. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time, which of course the Sci-Fi Channel canceled after two seasons because they said it was too expensive, um, was The Invisible Man, and that show with Vincent Ventresca and Paul Ben Victor amazing show those guys were great the camaraderie on that show was amazing the writing was awesome and it was just a witty great fun show is now on Hulu Plus the entire two seasons worth of The Invisible Man worth watching so good Vincent Ventresca was born to play Gambit and it didn't happen um but uh, anyway, he shows up every so often on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel's Movies of the Week. Um, he's worth so much more than those movies, but oh well, I can still look at him. Um, then also on there, for those who love Game of Thrones and would like to see the man who would be Jamie um, in another role, um, I can never say his name, I'll just call him Nikolai, um, he uh, did a series that was on Fox that got canceled after eight episodes which is sad, called New Amsterdam. It was sort of like a Highlander-esque series where he played a man that could not die, and his curse was he had to live until he found the one who was his soulmate. And um, he became, a, of course, a police detective in New York. But it was done really, really well, and it got canned before it got a chance to pick up any kind of an audience. And I didn't even get a chance to see it when it first originally aired, and I just happened to... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just realized that's an exact crossover of Highlander and Groundhog Day. Well, not really. He, it, what happens is he, he's. It's it kind of neat how they, sh they, how they show um, uh, the the progression of New York throughout the years. The, the the visual effects were really neat, and he's got he's just a charming little mofo that guy, and. I really, really enjoyed it. I love it's. It's kind of your hokey plot, you know. He's got to find his true love so he can die. Um, it's, but it's really well done, and and it took a, you know, you have to be a charming actor to pull something that off, and and he does it, and it's. It was really an interesting show, and we only got out of eight episodes, but Hulu Plus has revived it, so it's kind of neat to find these things that you may have missed. Um, 
on there. So that's my two suggestions is um, definitely watch Invisible Man and then cry when you realize, my God, why didn't they keep this going? And New Amsterdam, which is a really interesting, neat little show, uh, very Highlander. They even make a Highlander joke. A kid, this little kid asks them, why can't you die? I can't. How many times have you been shot? So he's like, a lot. Well, what happens if this happens? I still live. What happens if they cut your head off? Nah. And he goes, I don't know. That hasn't happened yet. You'll probably die. <laughs> the quickening is right. So I, I just had to bring those up. So um, on Hulu Plus, Invisible Man, New Amsterdam. Um, moving on to The Walking Dead. Now, Ren, did you watch this week's episode? I watched it. <gasps> Thank you. So um, I am not, I'm no Judas was the name of this episode. And I didn't get to do a recap of it because it just too much stuff went on this weekend. I just got behind and I apologize. I didn't get to do my recap. But I wanted to talk about it because a lot of people were slamming this episode as a follow-up to last week's because they thought it was too slow. But my thing is with The Walking Dead, it's more about the characters. And I like having, I thought... The week before, of course, was amazing with all the battles and things that went on and the deaths. Um, But I like this episode because it's really showing that Andrea's got herself trapped. And I like that connotation of I'm no Judas. It it can apply to so many characters within the show. And um, I, especially Andrea, who's, it's going to be interesting to see how her her story plays out over the next few episodes that's remaining of the season. Because she's really got herself screwed, literally and figuratively, um, because of her association with the governor. And I, I really liked the scene with Merle and Herschel, where you get a little bit more insight to Merle Dixon, and you find out he's not as much of an idiot hick as you think. Um, I love that line, I miss the library. You know, he, he's, he's obviously been reading, and he knows the Bible. Um, I think that's an interesting take because you don't know, you know, he's well, maybe I that's like that it was ambiguous too. I like that you couldn't really quite tell if he was honestly yeah. in the library or just was talking shit. <laughs> I, I, it, it could be either way, but I think he actually, I think he's not as much of an idiot hick as you think. And, and we got a little bit more uh, of that too back when he figured out that Daryl was, you know, he really saw the evidence. He probably denied that it was going to happen to his little brother. But when he saw those scars and that look on Rooker's face when he was playing that scene was so great. Um, and, and then I also liked this, the part with Carl actually telling his dad you need to stop. And uh, I, I really, man, uh, Carl, the, the kid that plays Carl, he is just nailing it this season. And um, he's just, he's really coming into his own. And I really love Chandler Riggs. And I really, really dig it. Um, so I enjoyed this episode. I like uh, this, one, I like this yeah. one better than most from season three. And like I've been, for me, it slid from a solid 10 down to kind of a seven and a half. And I've been, Sticking with it because I still really enjoy the show, but I'm frustrated that it can't quite re- regain what, in my opinion, was its former glory. This show well, I liked better because I felt like they did actually take some time to have the characters say some original things that weren't just what I felt were slapped together stereotypes. Like, yeah. you know, and 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 as much as I like the idea of the the backstory between Daryl and Merle and their childhood. You know, you could pull something more original off the bottom of your shoe. I mean, 
it's it's just it feels like they're just try they're they're reaching for instantly recognizable um, plot devices so that they can shove it in there quick and move on. And I don't well, and like I, that kind of writing. I think that. I think that they've given them more backstory and it's better backstory for these kind of characters than you're giving them credit for just because they are the badasses of the show. You don't typically have the badass silent type over there with his crossbow being the victim. And I really like that. I think that's original. You don't have the badass of the show be the guy that's had the crap beat out of him like that. Yeah, you do. Well... Not no no, yeah. I not the way they've been playing it. I think it's really well done, and and I think that I, I like with Merle. They're giving him, you know, he could be just the racist prick of the show, but they're giving him more depth than that. And um, I think that's partially the writers, and it's also partially Michael Rooker. You, I don't mind them giving him more depth. I do not want them to make him likable. Well, I don't think they're going to be able to make him completely likable. There's there's just some aspects of him that you're not gonna. He's always going to be sleazy. That's, but that's just the appeal. That's part of his appeal to me. <laughs> I, like, I like him being unlikable in a lot of ways. But at the same time, you can't help but not enjoy him being on screen. Because you always do. I mean, he's always going to be fun to watch, even though he's doing some horrible shit. <laughs> and this is Merle. But I, I did get to see next week's episode. And of course, as usual, I can't talk about it. But... It's gonna be some good stuff, and it's gonna it's gonna add some more great character development to um, some some of the main characters that um, you may not have expected. So that's all I'm gonna say. That's all I can say. It's gonna be really good. Um, but uh, speaking of The Walking Dead, I wanted to bring up uh, a surprise new giveaway that we're going to be doing. Um, and I'm gonna also, by the way, possession winners. If you didn't catch the the episode uh, last week where I announced you, I'm going to be adding it to the webpage too, just so you know who won. Um, but uh, we're going to be doing a Walking Dead giveaway. Yay! And oh, by, you, I can't win. Um, by, you can't you can't win. I'm sorry. Um, but the Walking Dead giveaway is a big one, y'all, and um, because. Uh, and Amanda, no, I'm sorry, ghostly Amanda. I hear you. I hear you crying, crying in the wind like a banshee. No, you can't. You can't win either. <laughs> Employees are not allowed to win. Um, we are going to be giving away. I'm going to be getting sent from the studio. The Walking Dead, Merle and Daryl centric video game, what? and we are going to be giving away copies of the video game and not only that but y'all all my dicks and vixens you listening we're gonna be giving away signed posters posters by norman f and Reedus. yes so we're gonna be giving away signed posters by the man norman Reedus. signed by um, not the poster by Right, signed by Norman Reedus, and we're going to be giving away copies of the video game. Not sure what system, could be Xbox, could be PS3, but we are going to be giving them away on the show. Um, and I will uh, figure out a contest worthy of these prizes. It's swag. 
the swag, if you will, the sweet, sweet swag. <laughs> um, and who knows? Maybe, yeah, the, the, they may have Rooker's signature on them too, but I, I know for a fact Rita signed these posters. So, um, But yeah, we're going to be doing that upcoming. So be ready. Be ready for that. Pretty awesome, I think. I think it's a good contest, don't you think so? I agree. Yeah. I think it's a good contest. It's yeah. a winner. So, I'm, just, um, I'm just really, really upset that I can't, uh, you know, I have, too much, I have too much scruples to pretend to be somebody else and enter me. <laughs> Maybe not. No, really. <laughs> Amanda doesn't, apparently. It's like, I don't. <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of the, the Reedus, boy, Reedus and, and Rooker, if you go to uh, the fangirlmag.com webpage, I have some great photos taken at the Portland Wizard World, the first convention, uh, first Wizard World convention to take place in Portland. And I would guess, I, I went there on Saturday, and we have uh, Rooker Reedus, we have Campbell, Bruce Campbell on there. Um, I got some, uh, a little bit, I think I have some more photos I'm going to put up there, but uh, it was an awesome show. I went on a one-day Saturday round trip up there, and I would guesstimate 15,000 people were there. Nice. And that's that's pretty damn amazing for a first-time show. Uh, so, yeah, Portland Wizard World. I asked one of the guys from Wizard World if they were planning on coming back to Portland, Oregon. They are, in fact, planning on it, and it sounds like January is going to be um, the return of Portland Wizard World. So uh, January 2014, they will be back. So um, with that, um, Rin, do you have anything else? Uh, or we can move well, on to our... The nerdy Week in Geek, just I'll mention it briefly because it's a quick thing. Today, January 27th, was announced that uh, this particular billionaire, he's an American billionaire named Dennis Tito, who's the first uh, space tourist, he was the first guy to go up to the International Space Station and not be an astronaut or anything like that. There's only been about seven people to have done that. He was the first one. He loves space and he's spending all his money on this stuff. Today he announced that in 2018, five years from now, when Mars is at its closest to the Earth, in every and every 15 years, it comes really close. He's going to be personally funding, or personally funding, a manned mission to orbit the planet Mars. Holy crap! Five years. It's not going to be as expensive as the NASA stuff because they're not landing anything on the planet. That's significantly more difficult to get through a planet's atmosphere. It's going to orbit and return. A total of 501 days to get there and back. So almost a year and a half, not quite a year and four months. It'll be a two-person capsule with two rooms, so kind of tight, but two-room space. You can at least move around a bit. And he's looking, he's ho hoping to man it with a astronaut husband and wife team. He'd like it to be a man and a woman to represent humanity going to Mars. Five years, people. Five years, we will have people staring out of windows at the red planet. That is I'm crazy sauce. I'm very excited. That's awesome. That, that, that actually is really, really freaking cool. Um, so with that... Um, we're going to go uh, into our Frank Door interview here. And uh, if you want to go to uh, fangirlmag.com, we have linkage to his Kickstarter, which hit its goal. Yay. Yes. And uh, some artwork from the upcoming um, Hatter M comic book that uh, this Kickstarter is helping fund. And um, Frank's uh, thank you message that he posted today, as well as the fact that um, Frank lets slip. He goes, I've said it. It's going to happen. He may be writing another novel within the Looking Glass Wars saga, which awesome. is awesome. And yes, please, please, as we say within the interview, um, if there is a musical version, uh, 
Patterim and Alice and the, <laughs> the looking glass. We know who you should cast, and that is Mr. Doug Jones. So there you go. And actually, it's funny. Frank kind of reminds me of Doug in the uh, in the video because uh, he's very hand motion and, and awesome. So, um, and with that, uh, just a sneak peek. We may be having a really awesome guest next week on the show. Um, Mr. House Barks may be joining us. Who is so cute and awesome. Oh, yes. <laughs> Queer Smoke fans, Michael is in the house. Possibly. So um, I will keep you appraised on that if that happens. Um, it should. I've been in talks. So we'll see. Um, and with that, here we are, Mr. Frank Doerr. And if I don't talk to you after the interview, um, thank you for listening. And yeah. Uh, Walking Dead giveaway on its way to you with the Dixon Brothers. Good night. So um, uh, let's start. I, I have to, uh, you have such a diverse history. Um, before you even became a writer, I was doing some research on you, and I was just in awe of, of the stuff and how it kind of led to you becoming a writer. Can you talk about that a little bit, like the skiing and producing and acting, all of that stuff? Well, you know, uh, out of failure comes uh, a KJ writing <laughs> career. I mean, you know, uh, you know, opening up a lot of doors and then finally finding a door that uh, you know you feel comfortable in. And um, but I, you know, I, yes, I have an odd path, and it doesn't always make sense. But um, you know, because I started on the U.S. ski team. And so I lived in this very physical world, and I you know did that for five years, and I was very driven and very focused and and determined and um, and I was doing a lot of endorsements. you know I was sponsored by Audi and I did juicy for ads, and I doubled you know John Cusack movie, and I just no did a way. number of things, yeah, and the better off dead yeah, um, he's, he's, the, he's the guy that went and the slow. <laughs> Which movie? Exactly. Which movie? Exactly. Which one? Better Off Dead? Better Off Dead. Ah, and what type of skiing did you do on the team? Well, I was on the uh, freestyle team, so I did mogul skiing and aerial um, acrobatics. and. Um, That's the most and, impressive kind of skiing. <laughs> well, it's the most dangerous, for sure. But, yeah. um, uh, 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 but, you know, and so it was an amazing five years because I probably skied 200 days a year and I traveled all over the world competing but that started to open up my perspective of you know a world view and then um, these commercials led me to do a number of movies as an actor but I mean I completely fell into it it was all you know it was you know I met a casting director and she said oh somebody fell out of a movie and so they put me in this movie with Kevin uh, Dillon and then a director friend of mine saw it and he said oh I'll put you in a movie and it all went along for about a year swimmingly as easy as you know as um, you know anything that ever happened in my life until I said oh I think I should get serious about this (laughs) and then it all disappeared not anymore yes it vanished and um, out of frustration and um, but not only out of frustration but also out of studying acting with some really great teachers, especially Stella Adler, who insisted that we read um, all of the playwrights' works, if we were working on a scene, to read their biographies and then write the scene before you came on stage. So to kind of write the backstory of where you were coming from emotionally and in um, situational um, writing. And I found that really fascinating. And I found I was writing the play before the scene. 
And, um, and so um, I did not have a successful acting career, but I started writing short stories. And I wrote a short story about something I knew a lot about, a piece of history about the first skiing and climbing troupe that fought during World War II. And I sold it to Kennedy Marshall, Spielberg's producers, uh, and Paramount. And I thought, okay, this is, I can wake up in the morning and I can create something, and maybe if it's good, somebody will be interested in buying it. And, um, and that led me to writing stories for Hollywood, which, you know, brought me in contact with the original writers of Something About Mary. We were in a Shakespeare class together, and they had written <laughs> the first draft. Yes, it was a very boring Shakespeare class, I might add. And so uh, we, didn't get a, we didn't get a lot done. It was a UCLA extension. We did a lot of drinking, and we did a lot of talking about stories. And their first script was There's Something About Mary. And five years later, I, when I started producing, I asked them about that script. And they said it was, you know, just collecting dust. And, um, you know, I turned it into the movie. And, um, and that success let me, you know, really kind of go off and spend five years writing my first book. And, um, and that's how I started on, on the uh, Looking Glass Wars. So and and you had said um, what I I gathered from was that this inspired by a very old deck of cards that you saw at a museum in London was that during your time when you were skiing or was that just a happenstance that you were well that London? was um I I was in London for the world premiere of something about Mary and I had an hour to kill and I went to the museum the British Museum and there was an exhibit of cards all kinds of cards tar- tarot cards playing cards historical cards. But at the very end of the exhibit was this incomplete deck of cards that had this, this, this beautiful artwork that reminded me of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Except it was dark and kind of twisted and had this, you know, this gaw vibe. And I was like, wait a minute, what's the deal with these cards? And it led me down this path where I, through a number of people, I met this antiquities dealer who, you know, had the remaining cards that completed the deck. And he told me this story which was the inspiration and the jumping off place for me to write my novel. And, you know, I ended up buying the cards from him. It took a couple of years and a lot of convincing and quite a bit of money, I might add. But um, <laughs> it was well worth it, and, um, and I've been working on it since. I mean, I started writing it in 2000, I think, 2001, and it published in 2004 in the U.K. So it's really, you know... You know, starting to become a life's work <laughs> in an odd way. And so. I, I absolutely love it. I actually have been pushing for a while because I started reviewing the Hatter M comics. Oh, the first when the first ones came out, and I fell in love with with that character. How you had done the Mad Hatter really? as a as a badass? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like even but, more but, of a but, badass. But, but did you did you read them when they were individual issues or when the first graphic novel came out? When they were individual issues. Really? Wow. Yeah, I actually have somewhere here, I have the Oh, uncut. my God. Yeah, I've been, I've been a fan for a while, sir. <laughs> That's awesome. That, yeah. you go, you, you know, you started before I had my prose books in the U.S. So, mm-hmm. because I introduced the comic books before I had a publisher here, because most of them turned me down. So, I often... You know, um, when I speak, do speaking engagement, thank people ex- just like you for picking up the comic 
and talking about it because that motivated folks to go on um, Amazon.uk and buy copies of my paperback to make it a bestseller in the UK, which then made my We'll put it this way. You helped me get my publishing deal here in the UK. Yay! So thank you. I mean, in the US, <laughs> so thank you. So I'm well, indebted was, to you. Oh, thank you. I, I was actually sort of confused because because of, of what you just said. I, I knew of the comics, and then I, I was reading the comics, and then all of a sudden I hear about this book called The Looking Glass Wars. I'm like, wait a minute. What's this? And then, right. what's this? And, and, and where does this... That's the same guy. Uh, I don't understand. And then I finally figured it out, and and so I started reading the Looking Glass Wars, even though I already knew about uh, Hatter M. And and I uh, I pushed people I'm like, oh, this is some this is some just dark grizzly. This is not pretty Wonderland. This is uh, nasty bloody stuff. Yeah, it was um, like the Jack the Ripper-esque kind of stuff that's going on in the Victorian England. I think that was the, was that the second series of Hatter M comics? Or Yeah, well there were four issues. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, I can't even remember which issue, but you know, the cover the cover art that Ben Templesmith, the, the the original cover art, people often said just what you suggested. It's a Jack the Ripper kind of story because he looks very, very menacing, but then they discover, you know, he's a you know, he's a good guy, uh, fish out of water, you know, searching for a princess. You know, he's pretty much a badass. So yeah. um so uh you know that's that's such a that's such an amazing thing for me to hear i've heard it um i just haven't heard it for a while that um it actually works that <laughs> i i've never done a comic let me tell you how it started because it's funny i was in the uk and i was talking to a bunch of middle school kids and a kid puts up his hand and he goes listen i have a very important question i love your book but i don't understand what happened during the 13 years when hatter was gone in our world. You need to go home and write a book about that, sir, because I need to know what was going on. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Man, that's aggressive. And he goes, I really love him. I want to know what happened. And I was on the plane and I thought, wow, that's a really good idea. I just dropped 13 years. What if I did a comic book? And I could probably do that before you know, I hadn't had a pup. I had been turned. And so it was that boy that I never got his name, but who motivated me to do my first comic, and I got an announcement, and you read it, and you saw the cover art, and you said Jack the Ripper, and it became a reality, and here I am talking to you, and it, it, it's, 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 it's crazy how life works out. <laughs> you read something, yeah, you, you and suddenly... I guess I did. I just blew up Frank Medora's mind. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, wow. No, I actually have. Um, I actually have some somewhere in my office. Somewhere are the uncut prints that they sent me of these way back when that they have like the border on them, and I kept. Oh them. wow! Yeah, I and remember I, those looked really good. We printed those out on really expensive paper. I remember. I was yes, like, I was like, oh, wow! Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so I I've been a uh, well I love the Mad Hatter Thank anyway. You. I mean, Thank you but so yeah, but you you've done like what you did with him and, and the whole hat thing and you you ah it's so pretty and if you haven't if you have no idea what we're talking about people you really do go pick these up 
because they are so pretty and and brilliantly done. He's made this great world. Because, see, the thing is, Alice in Wonderland, you know, and I know that um, you were going to have a film version of this done. And then the Tim Burton movie came and you guys were kind of waiting. Is there any chance of that still happening or maybe even an anime version of it? Well, you know, that I was um, working with producer Dark Knight uh, on the Looking Glass movie when Tim Burton's film came out. And because it was so successful, you know, Hollywood loves to copy success, but this was ridiculously successful. It made a billion dollars. And so it's not that the studios don't want to do it. It was hard to find a director who could pull off a big vision on the heels of Johnny Depp and Tim Burton making this, you know, this film that was so, you know, widely seen. So I have had to rethink the telling and the sequencing of it, the story. So what I'm imagining doing is one of two things, either telling Hatter's story from his point of view while he's in our world um, and then seeing if that's successful and then backing into the Looking Glass Wars. Or I have a contemporary story with the, the time travel component and doing it as a TV show and then trying to build out the um, the audience that way and then keep the Looking Glass Wars novels you know, intact for maybe doing a film version one day. And I guess there's three things I'm also doing. And I'm also working on the stage, the stage version, the Broadway musical, because oh my, my friend God. Gregory Mc- Well, Gregory <laughs> McGuire is a friend of mine, and he insisted that I do this as a musical years ago. And because Disney has not done theirs yet, you know, if I could, if I could get mine mounted first and create some, you know, excitement like Wicked, then, then you know, then I could have more options but um it's all you know it's all business stuff all i have to say is if you do a musical version of it that you get doug jones to play the hatter doug jones who's that have you ever seen pan's labyrinth oh yeah sure He's he actually can sing. He played Pan and he played the, the Oh white. yeah, he oh oh he can sing really. He's awesome. He's very he awesome. Too, right? Yes, he can dance, he can sing, he can contort himself into any way you want and he really? would love to do Broadway. Yes. Wow. We talked and, to him once and I think his dream role was Jack Skellington from A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. On Broadway. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Great. Well, I, I just wrote it down. So uh, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. This no, is. I, I think this is benefiting me far more than you girls. And, you, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what you're getting out of this, but I'll keep trying. But you keep giving me. <laughs> but I, I was going to ask you if you do a film version. Now, Dougie has to do the musical. We, we've given him the musical. But if you did, <laughs> if you did a film version, who would you see cast as the Hatter? I'm just curious because he sets an interview. You know, that's a tough, that's a tough, that's a tough question. Um, you know, there was a time, you know who would be great? I'll tell you who would be great. It would be Tom Hardy would be great. Mm. Yes. You know, I'm you sorry. Know, yeah. I have to wipe my mouth now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, we like Tom Hardy. Yeah, <laughs> be, wouldn't he be perfect? 
He would. Oh man, he and he's like a morpher. He can. Yeah. Contor- he's another one of those guys here. that you need to gain fifty pounds of muscle. Here, I'll do that. Yeah. Oh, you need me to be a skeleton? Okay. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Have you seen his version of Wuthering Heights? I have not. I didn't know. It is on Netflix it. streaming, and he is oh. amazing. Oh, and everything he's, actually, he's been in, he seems. Well, he's so great in this. He's playing opposite his his wife in real life, as as he's he's Cliff, and she he's um, she is Kathy. Uh, mm, and fantastic. Really good. Uh, but yeah, uh, so you have uh, yet another uh, coming out that you're doing. Did you, did you make your Kickstarter go? I think you did, didn't you? Or you're pretty well, close. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm pretty close. Um, I was, you know, it was just really interesting because it's been a number of years since the um, Nature of Wonder came out. And, um, and I'd been working on the Zen of Wonder slowly over the um, last 18 months. And then I found myself right to the finish line and run on funds and I thought this would be a really great way to go out to the you know vans and you know tell them hey look you can get this book eat early and and I took all the credits I have no credit like I, my name is not on the cover because it's and there's no ads it really is zend out book it's an it's the inner path of hatters search and he meets up with his long lost brother and it's a piece of story and it's a new character that was not mentioned at all in the universe of the prose novels and um and so you know i've gone out to my um to my audience and it's been 10 days or 11 days and we've raised almost fifteen thousand dollars and so it's so gratifying to uh, you know that the readers are really anxious to get a hold of the book first, and um, so I'm you know I'm pretty close to making the goal, and um, and then I'm going to be able to deliver the book in you know a matter of weeks because all I have to do is get it printed. Uh, <laughs> every, everything is finished. I mean, all the art, all the layout, everything is done, nice. and so. I'm excited to deliver on the promise that, you know, here's my Kickstarter campaign, here's the book and the other, you know, the other things and, um, which there's a number of, you know, unique and things, you know, manuscripts and things. And here they are and they're all, they're all right in my office and I'll send them out. So it's uh, pretty empowering. I gotta say, it's a really (laughs) remarkable, uh, remarkable, you know, thing Kickstarter to, you know, crowds, crowdfunding and not needing to, talk to gatekeepers, you know, publishers, and, you know, I can just do it. Do That's it. great. And, like, so. and we're, we're going to post a link to this is, uh, on, on Fangirl so you guys can donate towards this. Um, so fangirlmag.com, you will have, we will have the link to it, and uh, because the Kickstarter link is just way too long to, to rattle off on here, but um, right, we will have right. the link there, and it's Hatter M. Zen of Wonder, and it looks beautiful, and you've got a different artist this time, um, not Temple Smith, but another one who, just the graphics alone on here, like it looks like they're just plain storyboards and things like that you've got up, and they're just beautiful. That is, Thank you, yeah. Sammy has done worked on the the second, third, and now um, the fourth one. So I've um, I've uh, we've evolved, and he's become really a terrific um, collaborator on this uh, on this story. And um, it's really been it's really been a joy. And it also, you know, if they go to Kickstarter, all they have to do is Google. Hat- I mean, they just have to search Hat around, and right. it pops up because it was a staff pick. 
And um, oh, yeah, nice. there's lots of there's lots of cool um, lots of cool uh, different pledges, and you know, like I had manuscripts, the original manuscript, or the original um, first novel, the first um, advanced reader copy, which was you know had more action or violence, and it was <laughs> the the Brits are like, oh man, you have to dial all this back, and and so you know, I did what I could what I could stomach, and uh, and we compromised, <laughs> and so you know, there's things like that. So it's 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 really you know, it's really it's come in useful holding on to um, all those um, all those different books and. What's the image on the background that you're using on your Twitter account? What's this from? The Hatter with all the knives coming out of the thing on his back. That's yeah, from the well, that's second. his backpack. That's in his backpack on the second. Uh, I don't know if it. Yeah, that. Yeah, he has a he has like a magical backpack and has like a Swiss Army knife. That's has a tremendous. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely uh, terrifying looking. Actually. I told you he's he's a, he's awesome. He's yeah. I uh, I fell in love with Hatter M way back. <laughs> We've come a long well, way. <laughs> can I can I can I just um, briefly? It will be under you know. Just take me a few a second to describe what the story is because it's oh go I, for I, it. I, okay, so here's how I describe it. Princess <laughs> Alice Hart. Princess Alice Hart, she's enjoying her seventh birthday when suddenly there's a violent coup led by her evil Aunt Red. Her bodyguard, Hatter Madigan, whisks her to safety through the pool of tears. Now, the legend is it's a, it's a portal from um, Wonderland to our world, but no one's ever come back and the loved ones cry for their loss, hence the name. Well, Alice and Hatter jump pool of tears. Tragically, they're separated. Alice shoots out of a puddle, and she ends up in Oxford, and she meets this guy, Lewis Carroll, who wants to write a book about her life, but he gets it all wrong. Out of another puddle, shoots the bodyguard, and he goes on a 13-year quest to find her and save her before she makes the biggest mistake of her life, and that is marrying Queen Victoria's fourth son, Leopold. And I want to tell your audience, I Googled this guy, loser, how to rescue her, bring <laughs> Brings her back to Wonderland to fight for her rightful place as the true queen of the Queendom of Wonderland. Nice. And now they know what the story's about. I am <laughs> so... Uh, why haven't I read this yet? I don't know why you haven't. Ah, like, no. It sounds fantastic. Thank you. Yes, you've got a convert. Yay! <laughs> I'll, put on, I'll put on gloves and read Jay's original printings. Very, very gently. Yes. Oh, it's very pretty. Yes, and those, uh, yeah, yeah, those were uh, those were nice prints that we did. Yes, so, they were. That's amazing. Yeah, they're they're here. I kept them. I have to find them. They're they're like stacked in in a safe place, and I, no one knows where I live. Ha ha ha. So <laughs> I can't have I them. I know where you live. Bah. Shush. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's a hole in the ground. Like it's a safe. Like, like a hop. I'm like a hobbit. Yes, it's like a hobbit hole. Um, but Frank, I, I have to tell you, I, I I have a special place in my heart for Alice in Wonderland, and and you your version of it. There's some versions out there I just I don't get why they did them, but you've taken something that uh, you've made it so different and awesome. You've you've steampunked you. it up and 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 made it yeah. so epic. And uh, scale and just gorgeous. The art and and just even the the regular novels alone are, are interesting and, and amazing. So thank you for thank making you. those. Um, well, I appreciate that. I you know I I, I tried to um, use um, his work as a jumping off place and create an entire 
world, yet with some fam- familiar characters and twists to the characters. And as you read the novels and you, you read the, um, the, uh, the graphic novels, you know, I, I, move, I move away from, you know, Lewis Carroll. His will always stand, uh, you know, as these, you know, incredible classics but I have room for mine to stand on their own two feet and carve out their own, you know, sort of, you know, universe and territory. So, um, you know, for you to say that, it, uh, that's what was in my mind when I started, and it seems like it's, you know, people are responding to. Oh, I would love to see this done on screen and see. I almost think that it's so beautiful and and surrealistic and and like just the in the comics alone just the hatter m comics that almost if you get if you think about it think about maybe doing an anime even a short because it's so pretty yeah yeah i've been thinking about you know i just started thinking about doing that because um that's something that's probably within reach so to do to do some um short stories of, of you know following hatters you know, 13 years, I thought, you know, I could do some animated versions of that. Um, you know, him showing up as a fish out of water with his hat and his back, you know, in Kung Fu, you know, everybody <laughs> would underestimate him and he'd come into town and you knew eventually the bad guys would get their comeuppance and you're just waiting to see, you know, this delicious moment where they underestimate him and he does his thing. And, and that backpack springs out and that hat springs out. Yeah. It's like, whoops. <laughs> I think we got in over our head. So. Yeah. Oh, and there went my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> there went my head. <laughs> I am over my head. Uh, but uh, thank you again for, uh, and, and I know yeah. we're getting ready to run out of time here, but uh, Alice in Wonderland has a special place in my heart because my I actually, uh, I, I have to say thank you because I have my first ever short story I ever had published was an Alice in Wonderland story. And oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, it was a couple years ago, and I took Alice in Wonderland and made it about a vampire. What happens when a vampire wow. falls down the rabbit hole? And it was, you know, I, I like to wow. think. Yeah, it, it it I was amazed that it turned out as well as it did, and and, and I thank you for being part of the. Well, we both did the same thing. You don't have to thank me. You did. I did. I think we should thank uh, Charles Dodgson for uh, oh. for giving us uh, great inspiration because it seems like yep. you and I did exactly the same thing just um with our own little twist so uh yeah you know, it was pretty go. great it's it's such a great well of and and you're you know there's so much there that you can take from it and yeah. you make it your own it's so beautifully done and 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 you you did such a great job with it i i have to tell you and i hope oh god it would be so neat for you to make a movie or a musical off of it yeah i'm really i'm really hoping that uh you know I'm the one producing it, not my seven-year-old son 20 years from now. Not that I wouldn't like him to be producing it, you know, when I'm dead. But, you know, I'd prefer to to see it. So, uh, you know, these things, you never never know. I mean, look how long it took for Lord of the Rings and Narnia. And, you know, know, it can can take a long time. So I am, uh, you know, I'm working working hard on it. um, Well, hopefully we'll do our part. We'll do our pod and we'll yes. everybody we know. Yeah, like yeah, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'll tell Dougie. I'm like, Doug, Doug, Doug come on, Doug. Sure. <laughs> Getting in on I, this I, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I really appreciate that because it has a really it has a really great following. But um, you know, trying to find what I could do to push it into the real mainstream, and usually that has to do with a big piece of 
you know, me, you know me, media. So whether it's a movie or a TV show or a musical or you know some successful animation. So um, you know, I'm, I'm try- You know, the Hatter. There's one book to finish the series called The Love of Wonder, and then the, that that 13 years will wrap up. And then I feel I'll be able to, you know, open myself up to other possibilities and push the world in a more dynamic, in a, in a different direction and see if I can expand it that way. So, you know, that's the other thing that Kickstarter is allowing me to do is, you know, finish the series and have all five books out there. And um, That's you know, exciting. People, yeah. So uh, thank you so much for um, having me on and uh, taking the time to... Uh, you know, uh, interview me and um, check out my, my my history of being on the ski team. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> a long time ago. You guys go back. You guys, you guys do deep research. <laughs> we do do we do our research. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have you back too when uh, the next book comes out. We'd love to have you back oh, on yeah. and and see how things Absolutely. are progressing with all your all your your projects. Cause you're a busy dude. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I would love to come back, and uh, you've been very gracious. So uh, have a great night, and um, you know, thanks for sharing my world with your uh, listeners. I really appreciate uh, it. Thank you for sharing your world with us. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank right, you have again, Frank. You okay. too. Bye-bye. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. And there you have it, everybody. Frank Bedore, and oh my God, I would die if this was become a musical. I would, I would just lose it because that this would be wicked that well it would it would be better than wicked <laughs> <laughs> but yes um so be sure to check out if you have not read the um the alice uh uh, uh looking glass wars books it like i said it can be a little uh confusing because how they were released here in the states one uh the comics came out before the books um but if you go out, get uh, the Looking Glass Wars. Seeing Red, I believe, is the second in the uh, in the series, and, um, and then there is the third book. Uh, and uh, we will have uh, links to all of this information on FangirlMag.com. Um, the third book, Arch Enemy, was released uh, as well. So all three of the Looking Glass Wars books are out. And then uh, the comic books of the Hatter M series are still going on. And that is what the Kickstarter program is about for the third, or actually the fourth book, which is Zen of Wonder. And with that, I want to thank you guys for joining us. And uh, be sure to join us uh, next week when we will have more goodies for you in the land of geekdom. And hopefully maybe a new interview. Who knows who will be on? You never know with us. Somebody you know. Might be somebody you know. Might not be. You never know. Ha, we surprised you. It is. So with that, thank you. Do what? It is. I'm just just saying. It is. Somebody you know. It it is. Somebody you probably know. Um, But thank you again. And uh, we will talk to you later. And this has been Fangirl Mag... Yeah, Fangirl Radio. My gosh. Be sure to check out fangirlmag.com, though, for all the links to all the Hatterim stuff. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
样。